Our scripture lesson this morning, friends, comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. I invite you to hear these words from the Gospel of Luke. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? When no one was found to return and gave praise to God except this foreigner, then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This, friends, is the word of God for us, the people of God. As we just read, this week out of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is healing someone. Actually, he's healing several someones at one time. Maybe at this point you're wondering, Jesus does this a lot. Jesus is always healing people, one way or another. If you're familiar with the book of Luke, if you're not, that's okay. If you've never noticed this before, that's okay. But Luke is literally full of Jesus healing people, one right after the other. In fact, right before this scripture, Jesus has just healed a woman with a fever. He's just almost been thrown over a cliff for his preaching. That is a casualty of this job. It's always a chance you might get thrown over something. <laughs> He's healed on the Sabbath after sunset. When anyone who was sick was brought to him, he laid his hands on every single one of them. At this point in the book of Luke, he has healed a man with leprosy who fell at his feet and begged him to make him clean. He's healed a man who was paralyzed and who had really good friends that were so bold and determined to get that man to Jesus, they literally climbed on top of a house and lowered him down. He's healed on the Sabbath another time in front of scribes and Pharisees. He's healed the centurion's servant. He's raised a widow's son from the dead after seeing her weep. He's healed a demoniac-filled man by casting those demons into pigs. He's healed Jairus' daughter after Jairus, this great leader, fell at his feet and begged him to do so. He's healed a woman who bled for 12 years and dared to touch him. He's healed a boy suffering from seizures at the cries of the father asking, Christ, heal my son. He's healed a woman who has a spirit of infirmity for 18 years who was hunched over for 18 years so that she might finally raise herself up. He's healed on the Sabbath again, third time, making a man who was 
droop, with droopsy well in front of Pharisees and lawyers. And now here's Jesus again, this time healing a community of lepers. At this point, I like to think sometimes Jesus's healing has lost some of the awe. Do you ever feel that way? When we just read over and over again that Jesus is healing people, it kind of starts to, starts to lose its magic feeling. It starts to be quite as cool when Jesus does it over and over again. Maybe you're sitting in your pew thinking, we get it. Why does the pastor have to list all the many ways Jesus healed people? That's very annoying. You might have just caught my party trick where I spent five minutes doing that. <laughs> Jesus can heal people. We get that. We've got that down. We're ready for a different message. Can Jesus do a different trick? Sometimes I think that's what we're tempted to think when we read these healing stories over and over again. Jesus can indeed heal people. He does all sorts of amazing things. It starts to get a little old for us who are reading, but what we need to realize is it never gets old for the people receiving the healing. The Gospel of Luke tells us about these healing stories over and over and over again, because that's central to the life of Christ. It's central to who he is. It's central to who God is. They get told to us over and over again because they matter. Luke tells us that Jesus is in the business of making people whole by healing them. And sometimes that wholeness does indeed look like physical healing, but it also comes through spiritual healing. It comes through Christ in things like comfort and mercy and radical love. Christ makes people whole by seeing them, really seeing them when no one else in the world has ever dared to see their value, to invite them in or to touch them. Each one of these healing stories is a different miracle where someone who was lost or broken or ostracized gets to be seen, gets to be touched, and then is made whole. That's something, friends, we should never get tired of hearing about because it's pretty amazing. This time around, this scripture out of Luke, Jesus is out and about. He's on the border of Samaria and Galilee on the way to Jerusalem. And he comes across these 10 men with leprosy living in the outskirts of a village on the outskirts of these two regions. They are the exiled of the exiled. If any of you have ever visited the border of countries, those can be really strange and difficult in between places. You're not fully in one place or fully in another place. Most people are just passing through and these people live right on the edge. They live in the in-between. It's important to remember that Leviticus tells us the person with such a disease must wear torn clothes. They must let their hair be unkept. They must cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean, as long as they have the infection and remain unclean. They must live alone 
or at least live away from others who do not have leprosy. They have to live outside of communities of people who are quote unquote well. Leprosy makes you unclean. It makes you unworthy of being a part of any community, of any village. It means that you are forever going to be living in that in-between place. You have to literally not only leave your family, leave your society, but if someone comes near you, you have to announce yourself, yell at them, unclean, unclean, to make sure they're kept safe from you. That's the only interaction you're allowed with other people with the outside world is constantly yelling at them to stay away because your very existence is a danger to them. Those with leprosy can't have contact with clean people, so they form their own society. They form a camp outside of a village, and this is a common thing, right? If you're not allowed to have community, if you're not allowed to be your, near your family, if you're not allowed to socialize with other people, why would you not form a community of people who also are dealing with that same thing? We as people need connection. We need to live in community. And so that's what these men have done. They're living in community with each other as they all suffer from the same disease and the same exiled place. Since they have no land to till, no livestock to look after, they are people who live in deep poverty and they're completely dependent upon the goodwill of others. That means every once in a while, people in the village, in the community, might offer some kindness, leaving food at a great distance. Being a leper, living in this way, it's horribly dehumanizing. You don't get to be a person. You don't get to matter. You don't get to take up space. These men with leprosy see Jesus and they recognize him and keeping their distance as they should, they cry out to him, perhaps after yelling, unclean, unclean. They yell out to him saying, Master Jesus, have pity on us. When they saw him, they had heard these healing stories, the ways that Jesus had changed other people's lives, the miracles. And they thought, maybe he can do that for us too. When Jesus sees them, he says, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they go, literally as they're walking back into this community, they are healed. Not when they go there, not when they get there, not as they're about to leave, literally on the way. En route to the temple, they are healed. But one of them, as he's making his way, as soon as he realizes he's healed, he turns back. He goes back for Jesus. Praising God in a loud voice, he throws himself at Jesus' feet and just gives him thanks. And the scripture tells us this man is a Samaritan, meaning he is a foreigner. There's a couple things about this that are important. One thing I always like to note when I read this scripture is I imagine this man who's walking and leaving this area, 
And as soon as he realizes he's healed, he just is filled with excitement. This is how it looks in my head, is that as he's filled with this excitement, he turns to go back to Jesus, and I don't think he like slowly walks in a proper way. I think he probably takes off running. And he gets to Jesus, and he throws himself on the ground, and he just gives him praise. And it, the scripture tells us that he praises Jesus his whole way back. And y'all, this is incredibly improper. To be fair, he was a leper, and so he's been considered improper for most of his existence, but he's just been made well. And here he is running through the streets, showing his ankles, which is like a thing you don't do, yelling, he gets to Jesus, he throws himself in a prostate position, which is completely vulnerable and also probably not very proper for public. And he just praises him. This man, for a lot of people, probably looks like he has lost it. I imagine the same visual as we read in the Old Testament when King David is so filled with the Holy Spirit, he dances till his clothes fall off. This guy kind of gives me the same vibe, where he's just so excited, he just runs for Jesus with a reckless abandonment. This man is a Samaritan, and that is an important thing, because not only is he a leper, he's a Samaritan leper. In Jesus' day, Samaritans are people who are deemed unlovable. They're foreigners, they're outsiders, they aren't a respectful part of Jewish society. This guy is like a double negative. He's an outsider times two. He's unclean, he's unlovable, he belongs in the wrong nationality, he's unworthy of being in the presence of other people, he's unworthy of touch, he's meant to live his life on the fringes of society. And yet, when Jesus heals all ten of the lepers, he heals him too. When we get to this point in the story, sometimes we wonder, what is wrong with the other nine men? Why is it Jesus heals ten people and only one comes running back? And I, this past week, as I was talking to a covenant group that I'm a part of with other clergy, said, I genuinely don't see what's wrong with that. Because when it comes to church life, one out of 10, like a 10% return rate, is really good. <laughs> this is not something to complain about. <laughs> if one person's come back, we're gonna call it a victory. <laughs> But the other thing is, why do we get down on these nine people who don't come back? They do what Jesus tells them to do. He tells them, go, run to the priests, and they do. This man runs back to Christ, and he's the only one. He's the one in ten. Maybe he's the only one who, in the middle of running, realizes that he's already been healed. Maybe he's the only one quite that self-aware. Maybe he's the only one for whom the idea struck him to run back, right? Maybe the others kept running because they could go home. They've been healed. 
Maybe they couldn't wait to get to the temple to tell the priests of the miracles Jesus had done. Because if you are familiar with Jesus' story, the priests really don't like him that much. So maybe they can't wait to be like, guess what this Jesus guy did again? Maybe they can't wait to see their families, to see the community that they've long been exiled from, to be welcomed back into society. Running back to Jesus perhaps doesn't feel so important when you get to run back to home. Maybe this man turns and runs back to Jesus because even though he's healed from his leprosy, he's still a Samaritan. We don't know exactly the nationality of the other nine men, but the way the scripture is written, we can assume that this man is the only Samaritan among them. And that even as a healed man, he wouldn't necessarily be welcomed back into the same community these other nine are running for. He still has one strike against him. So he runs to Jesus. And that is important, friends. Given the command to run to the priests, he turns back around and runs to Christ. And I think we have to consider, does he run to Jesus because Jesus is the only person who will welcome him? Does he run to Jesus because there's not a temple that he can enter close by? This man's life has been changed. He has been made whole. He not only is physically healed, but he's spiritually healed. He's seen for the first time he's valued. His nationality doesn't matter. It doesn't prevent anything any goodness for him. So he turns back around and he praises God. He throws himself at the feet of Jesus offering thanksgiving. I think we could spend a lot of time focusing on the fact that the other nine failed to do this. But really the thing to focus on is that this man does it. And while we don't know anyone's excuses, we don't know anything behind why the others don't run back. We don't really know why this man does. The best we can make is assumptions. I think the fact that he is who he is and he's not likely to be welcomed back easily probably has a lot to do with it. The fact that Jesus has welcomed him and loved him I think has a lot to do with it. The fact that he maybe doesn't have a temple to bow down in, and so he just does it in the middle of the street in front of Jesus, that is something. That is something for him, and that's something for all of us to consider. Because how many of us have ever been that excited about Jesus that you would just throw yourself down in the middle of the street? Maddie just left, but I'm pretty sure she's probably the only one. <laughs> have heard me preach before know that um, languages are not my spiritual gift. I suffered through learning modern Hebrew in undergraduate and that means when I got to grad school for divinity school I stayed as far away from Hebrew and Greek as I could. 
it's just not not something I'm good at. Um, they, my mom started should have started teaching me Greek at like four and maybe, but that did not happen. This week as I read the scripture, I was caught by the fact that when we look at the original Greek that this text is written in, when the scripture tells us this man threw himself down in thanksgiving, the word for thanksgiving that is used is Eucharista. And that, friends, is the same Greek word that Eucharist is derived from. Eucharist meaning communion, meaning that table, the body and blood of Christ. That means the joy and thanksgiving that this man is celebrating, that he offers Christ in this moment of healing, is the same joy and thanksgiving Christ offers when he breaks bread and he holds up the cup at the Last Supper. It's a holy turning towards God. It's more than just like a really happy day. It is a deeply holy healing. It's a being made whole, a fully turning towards God, a moment of pure, holy joy. That is what this man is experiencing. And that, friends, is the same thing that we are offered when we approach the communion table. It is a holy turning. In the same way this man experiences being healed, we are invited into that same healing when we approach the table. The experience of communion, of Eucharist, is one of healing, of turning, of partaking in togetherness. And we're invited not just to leave after taking part in that healing act, but to see the wholeness of transformation that Christ offers us to see the beauty of the body of Christ and to turn back again and again and again because chances are we turn towards Christ maybe like two degrees and then something happens and we go this way and then we kind of work back around and then we go back over here. We don't necessarily turn towards Christ once. It's a constant turning around. It's a constant reminder that this deep joy and wholeness exists. And as you approach the table today, friends, I want to invite you to know that Christ is waiting. If you have nowhere to run, you can run here. If you have no place to call home, nothing that will welcome you, if you have felt exiled, if you literally feel like you're just sitting on the border and there's no community for you, there's community in Christ. That you are invited to come to participate in this deep, joyful thanksgiving and to know that you are wholly loved, that whatever it is you need, that whatever healing you need, Christ is there. And while it may not come in the way you want, I think it will still come. And we can praise God for that, right? Amen. At this time, I'd like to invite you to join me in our communion liturgy.
which can be found on page 12 in your hymnal. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sins and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sins before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.